I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today, part two of our look at America's maternal mortality crisis. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend you start there. In it, we heard the devastating story of how one mother, Kira Johnson, became a part of a shameful statistic that between 700 and 900 American women die every year from pregnancy and childbirth-related causes. And 60% of those deaths, including Kira's, could have been prevented. Here's Kira's husband, Charles Johnson. What happened to Kira was not just a medical tragedy, it was a medical catastrophe. Everything that could have went wrong, in fact, did. So not only did that doctor fail Kira, but the hospital and their policies and procedures failed her. We learned that structural issues like racism and sexism, as well as an increase in medical interventions during labor, have led to more women dying from pregnancy and childbirth today than they did 30 years ago, a fact that makes the U.S. the only country in the developed world to see its maternal mortality rate go up. Today in part two, We tackle my next question. What is being done to better protect American mothers from becoming a part of that horrifying statistic? She was told it was a fluke, and here I was looking at these data points and seeing she wasn't a fluke. She was actually part of a really important trend that has not been covered in the U.S. For investigative reporter Nina Martin, this question is a personal one. In 2015, When she and her team at ProPublica began reporting their Lost Mothers Project, an investigation into maternal mortality, they found an alarming statistic that in addition to the deaths, there are 50,000 women who nearly die every year from pregnancy and childbirth-related issues. 
And we're not talking about like they have gestational diabetes and then they cut back on, you know, whatever um, the the amount of sugar, that ice cream that they eat in pregnancy and then everything is okay. We're talking about women who, you know, go to the hospital and go into cardiac arrest. We're talking about women who nearly bleed out. We're talking about women who have life-threatening infections that keep them hospitalized for weeks. And... um, That was really super interesting to me, both because of the size, um, again, which really was not what people were talking about in the parenting magazine world that I had spent some time in. But it also really connected with me on a personal level because um, my sister had um, given birth. I was I've uh, three sisters, three. Yeah. And um, (laughs) I'm the oldest of five. (laughs) Nina Martin's sister, Camille, had given birth to a boy named Aiden in Texas in 2000. She and her husband both had good jobs. She was a paralegal, he was a lawyer, and they had access to good health care. She was um, very healthy, had a really good pregnancy, and she nearly died in, after, in her postpartum period. She had two very severe infections, one of which was they, they've caught and fixed in the hospital and the second one, which nearly killed her. And I remember going and trying to help out at the time and how freaked out everybody was. And then it was kind of over. People said to her, you know, oh, well, you know, this never happened to anybody. (laughs) We have no idea that we've never seen anything like this before. And and also, um, don't worry your little head about it because you're fine now and your baby's fine and go home and live your life and be happy that everything's okay. And so her experience was completely erased. Being a professional athlete, I just thought that will never happen to me. Olympic runner Allison Felix became one of the 50,000 women who nearly die from pregnancy-related complications in 2018. During her pregnancy, she was diagnosed with severe preeclampsia, a condition characterized by high blood pressure that puts mothers at risk for stroke, among other things. The only cure for severe cases like Allison's is to get the baby out. So at just 32 weeks, she had to deliver her daughter, Cameron, via emergency C-section. It happened so fast, she didn't even realize how much danger she was in during and after the birth. My family was definitely very concerned, and I think that they were even more concerned than I was because obviously all of my attention was on Cameron, and I was consumed with how she was doing and all of that. Um, But I was still having issues with my blood pressure, and we were still trying to get that to be at a manageable um, level. And so I was still in the hospital for several days after both Cameron and I were together. um, And uh, for several weeks, I was still trying to regulate my own blood pressure. Today, both Allison and Cameron are happy and healthy, but the six-time Olympic gold medalist is determined to not let her experience be erased. In May of 2019, she testified at a House Ways and Means Committee hearing about racial disparities in the maternal mortality crisis. First, let me welcome Ms. Allison Felix, a United States track and field star, nine-time Olympic medalist. Going through this experience um, and just feeling so scared uh, as I went through it all, that was really the turning point for me. And talking to girlfriends and um, just feeling like my friends are not even educated, you know, on this topic. It really pushed me to share my story. I'm a person who is, you know, more private. And so 
It was definitely uh, something that was out of my comfort zone. My name is Allison Felix, and I am Cameron's mom. And I would like to share the story of the two most terrifying days of my life. What's scary about Allison's story is that she didn't realize anything was wrong until everything went very wrong. I had a really great pregnancy. I was, I knew I wanted to come back to compete, so I was training. I was pretty much training four or five days a week. I was on the track, um, in the gym, in the pool. So, you know, really intentional with the idea that, you know, I was going to resume right back onto the track. And at 32 weeks, I went into the doctor and I was just going for my routine checkup. And so went in and immediately when I came in, I found out that I was spilling protein. And from there, my doctor sent me straight to the hospital for further monitoring. And um, it was not going well what they were seeing. And so I was admitted right away. And I spent that night in the hospital. And that's when things really started to go downhill. You know, I was diagnosed with a severe case of preeclampsia. And um, my blood pressure was through the roof and, you know, the baby was not doing well. And things happened just so quickly. And I was trying to wrap my head around what was happening and trying to understand what was happening. And um, from there, after that evening, the next day, it continued to get worse. And um, we realized that it was an emergency situation and that the only way out of it was to um, have an emergency C-section and to deliver. So it was terrifying, you know. It was so far from what my birth plan was and um, just trying to understand, you know, what was really going on. Cameron weighed just three pounds, seven ounces when she was born and was taken to the NICU right away where she would stay for a month. But in addition to worrying about her preemie day in and day out, Allison also had to heal from her own trauma. It was honestly very difficult. Um, All of my energy and all of my focus was really trying to be in the NICU 24-7. And I was so concerned with everything that was happening with Cameron that um, I fell very low on that list. Um, If it wasn't for my support system, uh, I don't know, you know. If I would have taken so much care for myself, but my family really stepped up and, um, you know, made sure that I was, you know, going to doctor's appointments, making sure that I was taking my medication um, because I was still dealing with the blood pressure even well after I was released from the hospital. So having um, other people help me was uh, enormous because I was spending, you know, night and day in the NICU. You could see how someone without means, without a support system, without good doctors or attentive doctors could really fall through the cracks, can't you? So easily. I mean, and I didn't deal with any postpartum depression, but I just kept thinking, wow, if that had kicked in as well, um, how could this have been manageable? It's just so much that it can feel overwhelming. And so my heart goes out to those, to women who have to, you know, deal with uh, these extra things on top of having a newborn and so many changes within your body. One of the biggest reasons Allison has turned to advocacy is she wants to get the message out. Her story can be anyone's story. Frankly, it's something she wished she had known. Leading up, I think that I was not um, 
prepared enough. You know, I wasn't told what to look out for. I wasn't told that I was at risk. Um, and so that's something that I wish had gone differently. You know, I think had I known beforehand what to look out for, um, just that I was at risk, then I could have wrapped my head more around, you know, a possible stay in the NICU and what that means and kind of all of these things. But it was it was terrifying to have to go through this ordeal and straight into, you know, I was still dealing with the symptoms um, and the after effects of what I had been through and straight into now my daughter is in the NICU and what does life there look like? And I'm trying to manage all of that as well. And when you say you were at risk, what made you at risk for this? Just being a black woman, that made me at risk. And that is something that I didn't understand before. You know, I had heard, but I know I'm a professional athlete. You know, I I train for a living. I'm healthy. I know how to eat right. I exercise throughout my pregnancy. And I was um, wanting to have this beautiful natural birth. And so I just didn't think it would be me, you know, and that is uh, just such a misconception that um, that I want to bring awareness to that women of color are at risk. According to the Agency for Healthcare Research, black women are at least 50 percent more likely to experience preeclampsia than white women. The effects are also more severe and present earlier than in other races. Did your doctor ever even mention the term preeclampsia? I don't recall, you know, having that conversation. And so that's pretty scary looking back. You know, I would have loved to know, you know, these are the symptoms. These are things that you really should pay attention to um, and just be on the lookout for. Well, tell us what those are, because I feel like people listening can learn uh, from your experience. So what are some of the symptoms of preeclampsia? Swelling? Swelling is definitely one of the big ones, but I think what makes it also scary is that sometimes you don't have any symptoms. And so I really feel like I fell into that category. I mean, the swelling was one thing, but other than that, I felt really good. And so that is um, really scary, but um, headaches can be a symptom um, along, you know, the swelling, um, also uh, rapid weight gain, Um, vomiting. So there are some things to be on the lookout for, but really more than anything, consistent, your consistent health care, because once you go in to have your appointment and you see that you're spilling protein, that is an indicator um, right there that something is not right. Spilling protein means Uh, protein in your urine. So there's excessive amounts of it in your urine. It's interesting. Do they understand why black women are at higher risk other than just the sheer numbers of women who experience preeclampsia? Yes. I mean, I'm far from an expert on this, but from my understanding, that is what we need more research to be done um, and to be able to understand because some of the contributing factors that we know about, you know, not having as high of health care, we're seeing this happen in really privileged black women. Beyonce reveals for the first time the harrowing emergency she had while pregnant with twins in 2017. Beyonce also suffered preeclampsia during her pregnancy and had to deliver her twins via emergency C-section. Tennis great Serena Williams with baby Alexis Olympia shares her harrowing ordeal. For Serena Williams, it was something else entirely. After giving birth via emergency C-section, Serena had to beg staff to take her pain and her understanding of her own body seriously. 
She nearly died, first of a blood clot and then a hemorrhage. If Serena Williams struggles to be heard, it's clear this isn't just a matter of access to good care. I think a, a big factor in it as well is having to advocate for your own for yourself um, for some reason, either the tolerance of pain or black women's pain in general is not believed. And that is something that um, has to change. Do you think racism played a role in your your experience? Looking back, I it's really hard to pinpoint. But I, I think that there might have been some of that implicit uh, bias going on in my um doctor's appointments previously. Really? Why? You know, do you think that that the doctor, whoever your doctor was, was educating, say, a white patient more about this? I think when when I look back, I guess it definitely wasn't outright. That was not my situation at all. But the fact that I that this wasn't a conversation, that it wasn't discussed. Especially, as you said, since you were at greater risk. Yes, I, I feel like every woman of color, you know, immediately that you should be sat down and explained that, you know, this is something you're at risk for. Do you think had you not had the resources that you have, Mm. had you not been an Olympic athlete, had you not been able to get the the best medical care Mm -hmm. possible, that there's a chance that you might not be here? I think it's a possibility for sure. And that is what really is scary to me. And that's what really uh, wanted me to open up and to share my experience and my story because I felt like, you know, I had the best of the best, you know, and I still ended up in a situation that was really scary and that we weren't sure about. And if I'm experiencing this, someone who might not have the best of health care or might not have even been heard um, to the level that I was, might not have made it. When we come back, how some states are managing to turn their maternal mortality rates around. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. In part one, we met Deborah Bingham, a registered nurse with a doctorate in public health who spent her career focusing on improving the health of moms and babies. In 2006, as the founding executive director of California's first maternal quality care collaborative, Deborah learned that California's maternal mortality rate had actually been going up. We then sought permission to talk about this uh, in small groups as we went around organizing the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative. I would hear gasps in the room from the clinicians in that space. So that would be physicians, registered nurses and midwives who were running hospitals, leading uh, uh, and also public health leaders, literally gasping at this was brand new news. Nobody had expected this. We did not think that it would be on our watch that we would see this rise. Deborah and her committee of experts reviewed three years of maternal deaths that occurred in the state. And one of the things they found was that death by hemorrhage could often be prevented. We found that there was uh, quite a bit of denial and delay had led to these deaths, um, meaning that women were not, um, the severity of the hemorrhage was not recognized early enough. They um, were not getting blood early enough, uh, which is life saving, obviously. And, um, and so a lot of our efforts became around how to uh, eliminate this denial and delay, how to better recognize hemorrhages, how to better prepare. What Deborah ultimately did was to help create a standardized action plan to help tackle potentially fatal complications like hemorrhage. Deborah refers to these plans as quality improvement toolkits or safety bundles. They can be implemented in hospitals in different ways, but they typically include a checklist of the four R's, or steps to improve readiness, recognition, response, and reporting so that women receive life-saving medications and treatments in time. In addition to the hemorrhage safety bundle, there's also one for preeclampsia and reduction of C-sections. I think my years of being in a frontline position in hospitals and actually running hospitals and knowing how busy you are in those in those roles uh, helped me put together a model that would be very practical uh, and also just kind of cut through a lot of peripheral information and what would it take to actually really save lives and what did people really need to do. Safety bundles also include preparation protocols like running simulation drills, and huddling with staff and family as the mother is being admitted to the hospital to assess possible risks she may have. California is uh, one of the only states that has seen a rise in maternal mortality and also a decrease. In fact, um, the, their data shows that in a five-year period, uh, that there was about a 55% decrease in pregnant in, in maternal mortality. And that was 
unbelievably unexpected that we would see that decrease so quickly. Back in 2006, California's maternal mortality rate was just shy of 17 deaths per 100,000 live births. Today, that number, according to an investigation by USA Today, has dropped to four deaths in 100,000. That's the lowest maternal mortality rate in the country. And now other states are trying to follow suit. New Jersey has one of the highest national rates at 36.2 deaths per 100,000 live births. Deborah Bingham has joined a team in New Jersey to turn that around. The initiative, launched in 2019, is called Nurture New Jersey. New Jersey is the medicine cabinet of America and has some of the finest hospital systems in the United States. First Lady Tammy Murphy is the driving force behind this new initiative. So my naive assumption was that this all centered around access to prenatal care. And, you know, it became immediately clear after going on a listening tour all around the state and speaking with all stakeholders, whether they be the hospital systems, foundations, nurses, doulas, midwives, any stakeholders who were out there, that the problem was much more complicated than I had assumed. Um, The problem is truly, if you're gonna look at this, it's systemic racism and implicit bias. And it brings in all the social determinants of health. And so our goal is to uh, not only reduce maternal mortality by 50% over five years, but it's also to eliminate uh, racial disparities in birth outcomes. Tammy Murphy says despite the new challenges posed by the coronavirus pandemic, the work of Nurture New Jersey continues. And considering the fact that racial health disparities have only been exacerbated by the spread of COVID-19, she says this work is more relevant and necessary than ever. There's good news for pregnant women and mothers all over the country. At the end of 2018, Congress passed groundbreaking legislation called the Preventing Maternal Deaths Act. The law addresses one of the fundamental problems at the heart of the crisis, the severe lack of reliable data about what actually kills American mothers. That was a very important piece of legislation that Congress passed. Again, Nina Martin. This set aside a lot of money for states to create maternal mortality review committees, to standardize them, um, to make them much more robust, much more helpful, um, much more efficient than they have been in the past. That's really incredibly important. A lot of states, when we started this process, didn't even have maternal mortality committees. And now almost all of them do. The ones that did have them have... um, improved them. And so that's a, that's a huge change. We're learning so much from that process. Some states are also trying to tackle the issue of insurance. Medicaid finances nearly half of all births in the United States, yet new mothers on Medicaid are only guaranteed care for two months after they deliver. What states are trying to do is to change the rules that allow women to continue to have Medicaid for the full year, along with their babies. 
uh, postpartum. And so that means, you know, a lot of support for mental health, for substance use disorders, for cardiac problems, all the things that we know are killing women in that first year. What we know from the from the data um, is that most maternal deaths don't happen during pregnancy. They don't happen in the hospital. They happen um, when women go home. They go. They happen in the postpartum period. Um, they happen. You know, sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's two weeks. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's up to a year. So it's incredibly important for women to understand that. And for doctors and nurses and midwives and everybody to understand how risky the postpartum period is. And also to give women the information that they need to be able to recognize concerning symptoms. According to the CDC, 36% of pregnancy-related deaths occur up to one week after giving birth. And then another 33% happen up to a year postpartum. And it's impossible to predict which women will suffer such fatal complications, which is why Deborah Bingham says it's important that all women are educated on symptoms. Her organization, the Institute for Perinatal Quality Improvement, is helping hospitals do just that. We actually made one handout called Save Your Life Handout, which it outlines all of those post-birth warning signs. So that's to help empower women to know when to seek care. Hi, good morning. Good morning. My name is Stephanie. I'm going to be your discharge nurse. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Congratulations. NYU Langone in New York City is just one hospital that has put Deborah's Save Your Life Handout to use as part of its postpartum discharge education. But sometimes it's hard for overwhelmed new moms to absorb critical information about life-threatening health issues. So NYU now sends families home with a Save Your Life magnet, which reminds moms of the symptoms they need to be aware of. I have this really helpful acronym here. It's post-birth. So P stands for pain in your chest. O stands for obstructed breathing or shortness of breath. S stands for seizures. And T stands for thoughts of harming yourself or your baby. Okay. The birth card B. I really encourage all women that if they just aren't feeling like things are right, to not give up asking for someone to intervene, someone to look closer, to not just ignore their symptoms. Uh, A lot of women are very good at ignoring their symptoms. For most women, the first time they see a doctor is six weeks after giving birth, which is why the postpartum period can be so dangerous. But there's a way to fill this alarming gap in healthcare, according to Monica Macklemore, the reproductive health and justice researcher we heard in part one. She says insurance can make room for other systems of support, like midwifery, for example. They see people three days postpartum, they see them seven days postpartum, they see them 10 days postpartum. There's a more frequent visitation postpartum. And also doulas. Doulas are lay professionals in community that provide spiritual, informational, and physical support to pregnant people across the pregnancy. In my mind, they are an essential member of the healthcare team, and we need to integrate team-based care. 
because those are individuals who can move with pregnant people through time as opposed to managing the time of birth, which is a lot of what we do clinically. They're another pair of eyes to sort of help us keep pregnant people safe and alive. And we need to own that at some point and figure out how to finance that. The other crucial element here to keep mothers safe after giving birth is making sure they don't have to rush back to work. I like to remind people that we actually have no paid family leave in the United States. If people can have the time that they need knowing that they're not going to lose their job or that they don't have to go back to work too soon, then we, we could go a really long way in reducing maternal deaths in the postpartum period rate. When Allison Felix decided in 2018 that she wanted to be a professional athlete and a mother, she was in the midst of contract negotiations with her longtime sponsor, Nike. This time around, she wanted to ensure that she was protected during and after pregnancy. The way um, athletic contracts are structured is a lot of it is performance-based. And so you need to perform to a certain level or you will have a reduction in your salary. Um, Obviously, when you have a baby, you need a bit of time to get back to top performance. Um, And at at the time when I was negotiating, they were unwilling to grant that time. Um, And other athletes had experience also when they became pregnant that their contracts were actually paused, uh, meaning that they were not receiving any pay um, at all. And their likeness was still being used. They were still required to make appearances. They were still training with the intention of coming back. It's an issue that I had seen repeatedly throughout my career. Um, And the culture was really silent surrounding it. You know, it was just something that women would go through. And I got to the point where I felt like I had to speak on it. I had to share my experience um, because things, I felt like things would not change if I didn't. Allison asked Nike to guarantee in her contract that she wouldn't be punished if she didn't perform at her best in the months before and after childbirth. Nike declined. In May of 2019, Allison broke ties with Nike and wrote a powerful op-ed in the New York Times detailing her experience. By the end of the month, Nike announced it would end financial penalties for pregnant athletes. By July, Allison signed with Athleta, an athletic wear company owned by Gap, that wanted Allison explicitly for her outspoken advocacy. Are you proud of yourself for speaking up? I know that you have talked about your upbringing. You were raised in a very Christian family, um, probably taught to be respectful, Mm -hmm. to respect authority, to not be a troublemaker, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. So did it kind of go against your brain, Allison, to say, hey, this isn't right. I'm speaking out. Oh, it was completely against, (laughs) went against the grain. It was um, so far out of my comfort zone, Um, not only you know, am I more of a private person, but everything you just mentioned was completely true for me. And so it just felt very scary. But um, after I did speak out, I the encouragement from so many people um, really reassured me. And more than anything, it was my daughter. You know, she was the one who helped me find my voice. And it really, when I thought about her life and her growing up and the things that I didn't want her to have to, you know, fight for, um, that definitely just gave me the, the boost that I needed. When we return messages of empowerment for today's pregnant moms and their families, that's right after this.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A lot of what we face right now with the coronavirus pandemic is scary, but it makes the maternal health crisis and the inequities around giving birth in this country more urgent than ever. It's important to share the stories we've heard so that we can honor those who have been affected and possibly save others from the same fate. So here are some of the lessons from those who have experienced the unimaginable. First, Allison Felix. No matter who you are, educate yourself. You know, be fully prepared. Have a birth plan, um, but don't be married to it. (laughs) For me, that was um, a big issue. So just understand that issues may arise and, um, you know, be willing to um, go with the flow, but but educate yourself and be prepared. And listen to your body, right? I mean, I think you even probably discounted the swelling you experienced. Had you known you were at high risk, I think you would have said, oh, I need to call my doctor right away about this, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, I would have gone right in immediately had I known what to look for. And like you said, listen to your body. And if anything doesn't feel right, uh, make sure you're heard and don't stop. Be persistent. I wish that... I had understood walking into the hospital that day that this was even a potential outcome for my wife. Again, Charles Johnson. This never even crossed our minds. We had no clue. And we consider ourselves progressive, informed people that women were dying, you know, almost twice a day from childbirth in this country. I wish that I had known. Reporter Nina Martin says there's power in that knowledge. 
I think it's really important for people to know the worst case scenario possible. Because if you don't, then you will not trust yourself. Your advocates will not continue to push in the way that they need to. Believe what you're feeling in your own body and and then make somebody listen to you if possible, or to help get your the help of your advocates to make them be listened and don't give up if possible, because it really could be the difference between life and death. Tragically, there's only so much a mother and her family can do. As we've learned, sometimes all the knowledge and the support in the world simply isn't enough. That's the heartbreaking thing about Charles Johnson's story is that he pushed and Kira pushed and it wasn't enough. But you know what? If maybe Kira were still alive and she were giving birth now, people would listen to her, right? Because they would know that that this happens. And, you know, it's that's the heartbreak of it. Um, but it's also what he's been able to accomplish in what the work that he's done. In the years since Kira's death, Charles Johnson started a nonprofit dedicated to maternal mortality advocacy. For Cure for Moms, it's an organization that I founded to honor Kira as well as the tens of thousands of women that we have lost due to this maternal mortality crisis. And so I truly believe that although there's nothing I can do to bring Kira back, the highest honor that I can pay her is to do everything that I can to send other mother's home with their precious babies. For Care for Moms also helps provide support to families left behind, providing baby supplies, child care services, legal support, and even grief counseling. Because Charles and his young boys know all too well what that's like. As they get older, their uh, understanding, uh, it grows and they ask questions, and I do my best. I made a decision very early on that I would do my best to celebrate Kira and everything that we do. If you come into our home, there are huge pictures of her everywhere. Uh, we deal with mommy's memory head-on. We tell stories. When Prince comes on the radio, we turn it up to full brass, and we say that, you know, mommy loved this song. When we go places, we talk about mommy took you here when we watch race car driving, we talk about how much mommy loved to race cars, but it doesn't matter because it's still this immense void and it still doesn't prevent Charles from waking up in the middle of the night just crying, just saying that he wants his mommy. It doesn't prevent Langston asking the question, well, why can't mommy come to my school? And so I do my best to explain that, well, mommy is in heaven and, you know, She's doing important work, but there's nothing that can prepare you for what it's like when you tell a two-year-old that mommy's in heaven and he says to you, well, daddy, I want to go to heaven, right? That just rips your heart right out of your chest. And at the end of the day, if I can prevent one other father having the conversation with their children that I have to have with mine, then it's all worth it. If you'd like to support families like the Johnsons, you can visit ForKiraForMoms.com. We started reporting this story long before COVID-19 infected hundreds of thousands of people across the country, not to mention millions globally. 
It's a public health crisis of historic scale and one that, frankly, this country was not prepared for. What the coronavirus pandemic will mean for the maternal health crisis, we may not know for a very long time. But the fact is, right now, tens of thousands of women are giving birth in unprecedented circumstances, sometimes alone and often without the support networks and in-person care they need to stay healthy before, during, and after birth. Meanwhile, COVID-19 is only underscoring already existing racial disparities that put Black and underserved Americans at greater risk. While it's terrifying to think of the damage this pandemic could do to the maternal mortality crisis, there are still so many people, healthcare professionals and advocates who are working tirelessly on behalf of pregnant women. To that end, we've compiled a resources section around the maternal mortality crisis, including people, information, and organizations mentioned in these episodes. You can find that in my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, and I'll link to it on my social media channels. If you'd like to get Wake Up Call every morning in your inbox, you can subscribe at katiecurric.com. To share this important series or to subscribe to Next Question, find us on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen. Until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Courtney Litz, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Our show producer is Bethann Macaluso. The associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing by Derek Clements, Dylan Fagan, and Lowell Berlanti. Mixing by Dylan Fagan. Our researcher is Gabriel Luzer. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecouric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecouric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm late. I'm late. Three very important days. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 